Hello, 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 and welcome back to Joe on Joe Extreme. It's me, your host, Joe Slepsky, and we are back for an, an amazing, exciting episode with a very special guest, gang. I mean, it's the most extreme special guest we've had so far. It is a man who has had a hand in crafting G.I. Joe Extreme! He is Scott Reed. He's a comic book creator. He's a writer. He inked the original comic book series from Dark Horse Comics. Scott Reed, welcome to Joe on Joe. Thank you. Very, Appreciate that. Yeah, very excited to have you on, Scott. Um, so, you've been working in comic books for, uh, well, since the early 90s? Was Malibu your first start? Yeah, Malibu, was. Uh, that was my first professional work. Um, they hired me on staff, so I, I was living in Ohio, and and they uh, relocated me to California, and I and I worked in the office there, and worked in the office uh, in a um, like in a in a in a office worker capacity or as a creator. But, well, I was I was an inker there, so there was an art department at Malibu, and it was comprised of uh, inkers. There were colorists. Um, there were letterers and there were, um, I'm trying to think there was, uh, you know, like paste up artists, which you had paste up artists back then before everything was in Photoshop. So there was a lot of, a lot of that kind of work to do also. Wasn't Malibu renowned for the coloring department? Wasn't that the big advantage? Yes, that was the, uh, Malibu was really a groundbreaking uh, company in regards to the, the their coloring work, um, I remember going into the into the art into the coloring department and just being really blown away by all of that because in '93 it was all you know Photoshop was brand new, it, just digital doing anything digitally was really new as far as uh, you know for artists. So there were I don't know they had probably ten or twenty colorists I think. Uh, with Max and and I would just kind of walk by and sort of look over their shoulder and just be silently amazed at, at what they were doing. Yeah, I was in the art department inking um, just a bunch of stuff. Whatever they gave me, I I, I inked. Do you uh, remember? Uh, do you remember what books you worked on? You work on like Prime or? Oh yeah, yeah. I worked on a lot of the Ultraverse books. I worked on the Star Trek DS Nine books. Um, Mortal Kombat, uh, the Robotech, Battletech stuff. I, I inked some of those. Um, really, just my hand was in a lot of it. I don't know what the, you know, I, I probably inked 30 books maybe. Wow. If not more. Um, and that was uh, and, a, that was then a, at their, that was just such a crazy time for comics too. Like everything was exploding. Well, yeah. I mean, that's when I broke into the, into the industry was, was in 93, which everything was exploding. And, you know, you had Valiant was big and, and uh, Malibu. And of course that, that image, you know, was, was huge for sure. So there was all, all of these really exciting things happening. Um, and, and everything was extreme. <laughs> everything had extreme. After. <laughs> it certainly was. And you, um, now you originally, you're from Reedsville, Ohio. Well, that's where I, that's where I was, uh, you know, that's where I grew up. Any any relation? Are you are you like a founding father? 
Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, really? my uh, yeah, my ancestors founded that little town. What? So I, I am somewhat of a descendant of the the guy. His name was Major Reed, and he was um, he he founded that that area. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. You know what's so funny? Yeah, that is the one question I'm like I have to make sure I ask Scott <laughs> that question. Got yeah, to- yeah, it's a funny thing. Do you get out of every traffic ticket you've ever gotten in Reedsville? No, because no, it, <laughs> wasn't, it, wasn't, it didn't mean anything. It was just this kind of, I wish that would have been nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what brought you to California? Was it the job at Malibu? Yeah, they, they hired me. I went to uh, Chicago con uh, the summer of 93, I oh, believe it was. I was there and, uh, before it was, you know, now it's wizard world. But yeah. Back then it was Chicago con. And I showed my work to editors at Malibu. And uh, the funny thing is I had shown my work to, to a bunch of publishers that day. And I had actually forgotten that I had, that I, that I had gone to the Malibu booth. And so I went back twice. So the second time I went back, it got in front of a couple of other editors. And I think that's what did it. So it was, I remember standing there and realizing, oh, crap, I've already been here. <laughs> I've already been here and I've already talked to some of these people. Well, you know, uh, fortune knocks twice, I guess. Yeah, so that's that's how I ended up in California and I, I worked there for about two years. I love it. And yeah, and so G.I. Joe came out. Now, you worked on the first miniseries and the first two issues, I think, of the second, right? Yeah, four issues total. Um, and my memory of it was this was a big deal because mm. Dark Horse had acquired the license and I think the license had been kind of in limbo for a little while. I think it was sort of between hands, between, mm-hmm. you know, companies. And when Dark Horse landed it, it was a big deal. And, and of course, it, Rob Conti, the editor, sold it to me as a big deal. You know, this was they were spawning a whole you know, fleet of, of toys. There was the cartoon in the works. There was all this stuff, all this merchandising. They sent me, I remember they sent me the GI Joe Bible, which was this, it was like a phone booth, phone book. It was, it was massive. And it it just was full of toy designs and character style guides and just a bunch of stuff. Do you still have that? I don't. And I wish I did. Apparently it's worth a ton of money. Oh, wow. Yeah. And were you a G.I. Joe fan growing up? Uh, kind of. I mean, I was when I was really little. I I remember the big uh, 12-inch mm-hmm. G.I. Joe dolls, the, the, the action figures or whatever you call them. The, they had actual clothes, clothing. And I remember that stuff kind of vaguely. I was really young when that was still sort of around. Um, but I think by the time the 80s version of G.I. Joe was out... I kind of was not into it. I was, I think I was 14 or 15 or something. And I, it just didn't really connect with me at the time. I was really immersed in comics and, and all the other stuff. So were you at uh, Malibu when you got the call? But no, you were working on Godzilla already first for Dark Horse, right? Yeah. I had left Malibu. I went, I went freelance and went to Dark Horse and, uh, and it was during, during that project that I was offered the 
the uh, the G.I. Joe gig. What Godzilla project was that? Was that the Art Adams one? Yes, it was. Art Adams did the covers. Right. And I was the anchor for, I think, three issues of that. that. Is. And um, how did you find working at Dark Horse compared to working at Malibu? Well, it was different because it was freelance. So, mm -hmm. I, you know, I wasn't going into their office. I was still in California and, and I was working on, started working on that. Actually, I had moved back to Ohio when I started on that book. Um, and so the, so it was a different, it was kind of a different oh, thing. Oh, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Your, your coworkers are yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, well, I have got your books in front of me listeners um we are we i haven't done them in a while but i am going to be starting back up joe and joe illustrated and we're going to be covering this stuff so we are going to be doing page by page breakdowns but i've got them in front of me and um i enjoy your work sir you've got a nice line you've got a nice very classic comic book line your blacks are think. not they're not too overpowering and uh they complement the work uh very nicely thank you you're very welcome um the one thing that stood out for me reading uh, the G.I. Joe comic book miniseries from back in the day, um, one, these amazing covers. So, you mean, Frank Miller, Walter Simonson, um, your your pal from Malibu, Norm Brayfold, rest in peace, who um, I adored his work. Um, who's this last one? This last cover is... Uh, I don't remember who the... Uh, there was one... Oh, Frank, Frank Tarrin. Frank Tarrin. And then, like with like Jerry Bingham on the backups, like these are like these are really strong yeah. people. Do you recall the second series? Uh, so we look at it now, and it looks like oh, they did two Forshi miniseries. But if you read the second series, which I know you were off it by then, um, yeah, it it actually it it actually was supposed to be an ongoing series that they capped it at four. Did you even though you were off it? Like, had you, did you hear? Did they cancel it because? Uh, the toys were not selling and they were canceling it or the comic itself wasn't popular or do you, do you have any insight into why? Cause it ends on a real big cliffhanger. From what I remember, that was around the time that the whole industry was starting to really suffer. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of problems with the speculator market. So there were books that were not selling from, Every, every, nobody was selling books at that time, so so there was a big crash in the industry, and I think it started around that same time that GI Joe was being published, where the whole speculator market, meaning uh, people who were coming into comic shops and just buying up, you know, ten copies of the foil covered Iron Man, you know, mm -hmm. and the, the, because they thought it was going to to Pay for make college, them a lot yeah. of money and it's going to be this big collectible item well those people left when they realized that hey if you if you print two hundred thousand copies of iron man <laughs> the foil cover it's never going to be a collectible no, it's not <laughs> and so it just i think that was just on uh, gi joe was an unfortunate casualty of that of that period um because I, I remember feeling that myself because a lot of publishers were no longer, they were just no longer publishing or yeah, they, they had yeah. really scaled back. And Dark Horse was one of those publishers that, that probably, I would assume, they just couldn't afford the license. 
probably. I mean, it's, I would it's guess the era. Was... Yeah, I mean, that's the era that sent Marvel into bankruptcy. Yes, that, yes. For listeners, Marvel if you're unfamiliar went... with the time, think about that. Marvel went into bankruptcy because of everything Scott just described. Oh, yeah. There were editors at Marvel that I knew who were being laid off. And so I, I remember that period as being a pretty, actually a pretty dark period for mm -hmm. most comic creators because suddenly there just wasn't at work. Yeah. Well, fast forward a few years, uh, and it looks like you worked on a project called The Overman at, over at Image. Yeah, that was in uh, 2007, 2008. Tell us about that. What was that all about? I'm not familiar with that series. That was a book that I wrote, a story that I had written years earlier. It was just one of those, most writers have at least one or two stories that just keep percolating and brewing, and you go back to it, revisit it, and you write it, rewrite it, and you forget about it, and then you come back to it, and... Uh, Shane White, the artist on that series, he and I had over the years just sort of on and off collaborated on this concept and uh, finally kind of, uh, you know, got it going and uh, it landed an image. Cool. And what's what's the premise of it? It was a sci science fiction story. It's kind of a dystopian noir um, uh, concept about this uh biomechanical creature that's that's created from this soldier who uh, basically it's about it's sort of about the end of the world and it's about <laughs> it's about androids taking over society and and the question of of, of artificial intelligence and and uh yeah, so it's it's so just it's a, got a lot it's a of feel stuff. good. So it's a feel good, is what you're saying. It's a real warm and fuzzy story. <laughs> yes, that's very cool. Um, and uh, it looks like in uh, 2012 you had a very well received comic called was it Saga of a Doomed Universe? Yeah, that was the thing I did. Um, it was three issues that, that I ended up bundling into a big graphic novel, and it's. Uh, Basically, my love letter to eight to the nineteen eighties superhero genre. Um, so it's it's that's kind of my my take on 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 that era. That's very cool. Is um, are any of these available on uh, on Comicsology or digital or from yes. the website or anything? Yes, they're they're all available from Comicsology. You can either go there and just type in Scott Reed, and you can find um, everything I've uh, done there. Awesome. Well, listeners, you need to do that because when you're on Comixology, you're also going to want to look for a little book that we're going to talk about now called Hark, which is, Scott, that's your current project. You've got issue one is out and that's available on Comixology. You're, you're grinding through issue two right now. Tell our listeners, yeah. what is Hark all about? Hark is about this, uh, well, it's, it's a science fiction theme about a planet that basically... Um, they're at war. They're they're ruining their planet. They're they're fighting. They're super violent. They're super technological. And this android sort of surfaces out of the out of the chaos. And he's sort of this pacifist philosopher. He's he becomes sentient. He becomes self aware, and he becomes this sort of peacemaker who convinces the entire planet to throw down their arms, throw down their weapons, and to live in peace. And he's just sort of this, he's sort of like Gandhi, you know, he's just got, he's 
hugely charismatic and he he unites the whole world and uh, suddenly there's no more war and so he goes into sort of this suspended animation sort of a hibernation he basically says hey my work's done here you know great good luck you know I'll see you around he, he sort of retreats into his shrine and just that's that's the end of it so uh, Hark has gone and shortly after he's gone the planet's invaded by aliens and these people now are total pacifists and they're such pacifists that they they refuse to defend themselves you know mm, they, yeah. they've taken philosophy to the extreme where they they will not you know if there's an oppressor they will just do what the oppressor wants wants them to do because that's their philosophy and uh and so they're virtually wiped out wow almost totally wiped out and then heart comes back and basically sees oh you know look what look what i've done look look what's happened to my planet and so that's sort of the premise and it and it starts at that at that point in the story well i'm looking at uh, images of it right now online and um, this is beautiful stuff man the colors really pop but the details and the art are great and you're doing you're writing drawing penciling and coloring too Yes, my eye is twitching when you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I have work to do. I don't need to be talking to you. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, it's a lot. It's it's, go uh, it's gorgeous though. This cover, um, I think Thanks. it's yeah, I think it's the cover. I think it's your number one cover with the giant like stone monolith and all purple. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful shot, man. Thanks. And I'm assuming that that monolith guy, that's 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 the Hark guy. That that. Yeah, that's like a that's a representation of yeah. Hark. That's one of the many many shrines that was constructed for him. And then, of course, in the cover, it's depicted as overgrown and you know in ruins. Well, that's really cool, listeners. Check that out. Also, um, you've also, I mean, you don't you've done work over at Marvel. You worked on uh, the Enigma Force. Uh, miniseries. I think that was part of like was it one of the Hulk crossovers? You brought back the Micronauts. Yeah, it was. Well, it was part of the whole Realm of Kings, Realm of Kings story arc right. at Marvel, and uh, I was working on Son of Hulk, which was a, uh, one of their tie-in books, and did. Uh, I was writing there for about a year, I guess. Yeah, well, I lo just love that you brought bring Micronauts back. So, I, 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 I that was fun. That yeah, was really were you an old school Micronauts fan? Well, again, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> not even like not I, in the comic. I don't know. I've known. Well, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's a fan of the Micronauts toys. But most most guys our age are like, oh yeah, that comic, Mike Golden. Yeah. No, I really wasn't. I I knew about it, of course, and I remember. I do remember the toys as a kid, and I knew about the comic, but I never really. Uh, it just seemed kind of impenetrable the mm -hmm. whole thing. Yeah. And uh, I, and so when I was hired to write it to bring those characters back then of course i i went and bought all 30 issues or however many there were originally from marvel and mm -hmm. plowed through those and just really kind of had to, to dive into it and figure out what what is this thing all about well i i i know i read the son of hulk uh one shot and i enjoyed it i can't recall if i've read the enigma force one but i think i have i've i got a lot I got a lot of comics rattling around in my brain, but I do recall reading the Son of Hulk one. I liked the um, I liked all the the Scar stuff and all the 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 Son of Hulk was not about Scar, wasn't it? It was about the other son, the bad son. Well, yeah, I guess it was kind of about both of both them. of them. Yeah, yeah, 
yeah i i I dug that whole arc that whole planet hulk stuff was great so to to see you as a part of that big fan big fan much appreciated um well today's episode scott of joe on joe extreme we are watching episode seven of uh gi joe extreme and this is called the silencer now you were saying that you've never seen any of these cartoons no, I've never, I've never watched it, and which is, I feel kind of bad about that. Oh, <laughs> but I mean, I I've never, I've just well, never. Well, they're out of never. circulation, so it's not yeah. like they got a lot of play. You know, they, it sounds yeah. like they played once when they first ran, and then Hasbro kind of buried them over the years. Which, by the way, is the perfect time to say, listeners, remember when you're on the internet, hashtag release the extreme and tag Hasbro in it. Hashtag release the extreme. We're tagging Hasbro. We're tagging GI Joe official. We want to get them to release these in high quality because we are watching them on a bootleg from Appleton, Wisconsin, circa 1996, and the quality is terrible, but uh, but we're loving them, and we think they're great, and I think this is another very fun episode, um, and while you're out there on the internet, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Joe and Joe Pod. Send me an email to joeandjoepod at gmail.com, and you can find Scott also on Twitter and Instagram at underscore scott underscore read underscore so it's three underscores scott you could also find him on facebook at beyond forward comics uh and you put up the uh, new stuff and, and everything there you find him on comiXology basically search for scott reed where you find your comic books you're going to find some very 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 cool books uh and scott i'm excited to get into gi joe extreme with you today are you ready uh, no, not at all. Are you ready to get <laughs> extreme? Extreme, yes. <laughs> well, we're going to do it. Listeners, get your bootleg copies available. Remember, hashtag relates to the extreme. Get your bootleg copies uh, ready. And uh, we are going to go. Here we go. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it. they don't waste time in the uh, in the opening credits. They get right to it. They introduce everybody. So when you were given this assignment, were you expecting Snake Eyes and Duke and Scarlet? And were you taken by surprise that it was a whole new generation of G.I. Joes? Um, a little bit. You know, they, they definitely were trying to reboot the whole thing. And I, and there, it still kind of felt like G.I. Joe to me. Looking at it, the characters still sort of had that same aesthetic yeah. i think everything was just kind of beefed up you know in in the true 1990s uh fashion right um, but yeah it still kind of felt like gi joe um just sort of on steroids i think that that was sort of the the elevator pitch for for extreme and i, and I think GI I, joe on yeah. steroids and and you know that's they did that and i i think you're absolutely right they totally did do that and that is what they were the figures were a little bigger Everyone had a little, few more pouches and a few more this. Uh, so this episode is called The Silencer, everybody. And it starts out with um, this, the titular character, The Silencer. He's approaching a, um, uh, a secret base, and he uses his laser rifle to, like, sound the alarm to distract them. And what he does is, the reason apparently the reason they call him The Silencer is he presses a switch on his chest, and it, he gets, like, this full-body dampening field. That seems to dampen all the sound, light, and everything. So he's quiet. He's he's covered in darkness. So you can't really see him. They do a cool thing on the cartoon where they mute. They actually mute the actual sound of the show, 
which works really, really well, I think. That's that's one of the neater things that they do in this episode. And he looks like he's uh, heading here to steal one of these. The MacGuffin of the show, you know, is this special rocket. And this, or like a gun, that, and the gun can track anybody. It basically doesn't shoot bullets, it shoot, shoots rockets. And the scientists are demonstrating it for us. But that's what the silencer is up to. And the, the one of the scientists, by the way, is Red, uh, from the, that was introduced a few episodes back for the G.I. Joe team. Silencer also appeared a couple episodes ago. And this moment real, is really cool right here, Scott. This, the whole soundtrack of the show just went quiet. Like, they, they remove all the, the backing music. Like, they make it so that it's like he's in the room with the with you watching it at home. Did you catch that? Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. It's really neat. And then there's some nice heavy black, some nice line work. That's the thing that we that we find we that, that makes this show stand out a little bit more is this heavy use of, of blacks on the show. And, you know, really uh, to mask probably what was like a, a, a smaller budget for animation they just they went really dark with a lot of shadows and it looks really good and it works for this for this show yeah that's an interesting contrast that they're they're trying with this yeah it's almost uh, a little bit like sin city they're trying to absolutely to make yeah. things very stark absolutely so did you get a little thrill seeing um you know seeing a frank miller cover on, on a oh, book that, that was, you worked on was, yeah that was ridiculous when when that happened. I, I remember being very, um, very excited about it. Just being a huge Frank Miller fan, and then to work on a book where uh, you know he was doing the art for the cover was uh, yeah, that was a moment for sure. Cool. Now, um, do you recall? And you were you were freelancing, so uh, you you may have been a step removed from it. Did you guys get a, any fan mail from GI Joe fans at the time? What was? Do you recall what the reaction was to this new iteration of GI Joe? You know, I, I kind of don't, just because I sort of, you know, as the anchor, I, I was just kind of in my bubble. You sure. know, the pages would come in, and I would ink them, and I would mail them back. And then, <laughs> really, the only feedback that I cared about was from my editor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, or from the penciler, you know, I, I wanted to make sure everybody was happy with my work, you know, um, uh, but beyond that, I, I really didn't know because, you know, and of course this is before the internet, so you didn't really have your finger on the pulse of anything other right. than just doing your best possible work and hoping, hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. uh, on the show, we're getting a nice flashback here. This is another one of those great episodes that they've done a lot on the show is it's the villain origin episode and it's a very personal one. So Eagle Eye, who, um, you know, renamed Eagle Eye this season, turns out he went through uh, basic training or sniper school or something like that with who is now called the silencer. And uh, Eagle Eye was better than the silencer. So it drove the silencer to like use experimental technology in order to be better than Eagle Eye. And it, we're going to see real quickly that it, it goes poorly. And in the in the course of the flashback, there's a a, a woman introduced, like a, a female scientist, and she comes into play a little later in the episode. And if you're watching along, we just saw the gun explodes on the silencer, and it like that's what caused the scar on his face, and it also damaged his shooting hand. So that's that's the silencer secret origin, which is neat. 
um, Scott, we've gotten what this show's did did, which uh, Real American Hero didn't do a lot, was give us really distinct origins, treating these guys like superheroes. Um, you know, where Real American Hero is, they were all kind of paramilitary, you know, from different parts of the world, but they didn't really get into, you know, Major Blood's origins or, you know, Zartan's origins on the cartoon and stuff. They just kind of went, here they are. Uh, this show and this era really treats these guys more superhero you know, and this is their secret origin. So what what did you grow up reading, Scott? Oh, actually, we're going to commercial. We're going to be right back. Listeners, I know what you need in your life. You need more podcasts. And you also love movies. So why not do a podcast that's about not, not one movie. It's about not two movies. It's about three movies and a meal. I'm talking the movies and a meal podcast. This show is great. It's brought to you by Keith, Brad, and Ben. And each week they bring a new movie to the table, which they all discuss as a group. And it's not, you know, your highfalutin movies. It's what we do in the shadows, the Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, and Out of Sight. You know, it's Bad Education, Ghost Rider, and A View to a Kill. It's X-Men Last Stand, Queen Sugar, The Mandalorian, and Major League Two. They are a lot of fun to listen to. You guys know Ben. It's our friend Ben Penserga. He was a guest on Joe and Joe. In fact, Ben was the very first remote guest that I ever had on this podcast, so he's always got a special place in my heart. I'm really digging this. I, I just started listening to it last week. It is a lot of fun. They bring a guest in. The guest uh, I, I listened to their Heather's episode. They they were joined by Kelly, and she went in depth on her favorite movie, which was Heather's, and it made me want to go watch Heather's to watch with them. I really dig it. So guys, find them out there at Movies and a Meal, Twitter, Instagram. Their website is moviesandameal.podbean.com. They put out one episode a week. Give them a listen, guys. Support them. Let them know Joe on Joe sent you. I don't think you're going to be disappointed. It is quite entertaining. And now back to the show. So what kind of books did you grow up reading, Scott? Um, comics, a lot of comics. Um, I've probably... I want to say a lot of Marvel stuff. I'm still kind of a Marvel guy, I think, but um, that some DC stuff. And that would have um, been that 80s, that 80s Marvel goodness. Yeah, I, I really started getting really interested in comics probably around 82 or 83, and that was when a lot of really good things were starting to happen in comics, I think, with, um, you know, you had a lot of stuff like Dark Phoenix storyline yeah. at... Um, Simons and Thor. Yeah, the Crisis on Infinite Earth, Secret yeah. Wars. Um, to me, it feels like that was a real golden age to to, to get into comics, just because it was a, it was a real sea change, I think, mm -hmm. in the way books were being uh, written and drawn and, and published, and and uh, so yeah, all that stuff, early '80s, mid '80s, that was really um, what got me excited about about it and then about trying to, to to work in comics yeah now when did you start drawing oh god um probably, you know i don't know i mean very very young and what at what point did you think hey i could really do this for real yeah i think maybe you know as a teenager i it's, i started to connect connect it that there are people drawing the stuff mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. when you're a kid you don't you don't really can make that connection so much that's it, just yeah they're just comics you just know there, yeah. but then 
you start to think about the process and, and I was starting to pick up books like comics feature that would have these interviews with people like John Byrne and they would talk about their process. And, and so then I started to, to really kind of put two and two together. And when you were showing your stuff in 93, were you, did, did you go to, did you go to art school or did, were you fresh out of high school or what was, what was that all about? No, I, I did go to art school. I was 22. So I'd been out of art school for about two years and I was, I was working, but I wasn't really doing what I wanted to be doing. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to break into comics and I think it really took me probably two or three years of, of serious, serious work towards, towards that. And I would go to a lot of conventions and I showed my work to everybody who would take a minute to look at it. And I just tried to absorb everything that they said. And, and so it was just this long process of just trying to get better at it. And, um, and just hoping to be in the right place at the right time. Do you have any um, any like moments that you can remember where someone's feedback, you know, when they were looking at your portfolio, that something clicked in your head and you just said, "Oh yeah, that's how I can, you know, step my game up." Uh, I mean, nothing specific. I I remember there were, you know, I, I John Byrne looked at my work when I was just trying to when I was trying to, to break in and mm -hmm. he was encouraging. Um, That's huge. Yeah. And, yeah. and I met Joe Sennett, who was also, wow. you know, of course he's, he was a legendary anchor. Yeah. And uh, he was very encouraging. Yeah. So there were, there were moments, there were people who I was able to, to show my work to who, I already idolized. You know, yeah. So, so well, this is this will be good for any any of our listeners that are artists themselves out there. Were you showing your work as a penciler or as an inker or as a total package? What I was trying to do was break in as an inker. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do I wanted to do it all. I wanted to write. I was writing. I was already writing, and I wanted to to pencil. And I wanted to ink, and I wanted to get to a point where I was doing all of it. But I felt at the time that the, the best way to break in, or maybe the easiest, would be as an inker, and then I could work my way into um, doing those other things, which I kind of ended up doing. Sounds um, like yeah, sounds like your plan worked. I like it. Yeah, kind of, you know. But but yeah, I was just really focused on on inking and, and really getting good at it. On the show, listeners. What's happened is Eagle Eye, uh, his plane was knocked out of the sky by uh, by the silencer, and in a uh, like a most dangerous game kind of a scenario, that actually actually no, you know what this is, Scott? This is very much like the movie The Incredibles, when Mister Incredible got knocked down to the island, and was chased around the island by uh, uh <laughs> by, by Jason Lee's character. You remember? You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really what's happening on this show, which is fantastic. Um, but he's I'm really getting impressed with the, just the style of this cartoon. I, it's it definitely has a Frank Miller vibe to it. Yeah, that I didn't expect to see, and it, it's it's they're really trying to, to grow it up a little bit. They they really are. And uh, you guys remember last time we had an Eagle Eye um, slash Ballistic episode? Well, we're going to commercial. We'll be right back. I got a nice observation we do when we do. Today's file card is on the GI Joe Sand Striker All Terrain Vehicle. First released in 1995, it features a firing missile and converts from an assault tank to a hovercraft. 
This is a very odd looking toy. It, when you look at the shell of it, it looks like a futuristic car. But when you put everything together with the tank treads and the hovercraft features, uh, the wheels go, the, like the front two wheels go from being normal wheels to then being hovercraft, uh, like both the wheels and the treads flip up underneath it. Picture a futuristic green Mach 5 with two front wheels and tank treads in the back. Then those treads and the wheels flip underneath the car and the back treads become wings. That's what you're talking about with the sand splitter. And on top of it, you've got the shooting missile that a lot of these had this with the slam technology. So there's a lot going on here. I can't say this is a streamlined toy, but it's kind of a hybrid transformer meet GI Joe toy. And that's kind of neat. I can absolutely see the appeal. It's two, you know, build as two vehicles in one coming with ultra slam firepower. So, Sandstriker, you cool hybrid transformer, we salute you. So, the last time we had a Ballistic Eagle Eye uh, episode, if you guys recall, it was a James Bond adventure. So, Eagle Eye was, he was, uh, he was they had to go to a casino and he was in a tuxedo. It was a whole thing, right, Scott? This is Indiana Jones. And I love it. They're, they're really casting, you know, Eagle Eye is that leading man hero. Um, this is a funny bit. He's he's in quicksand, which Good I love shot. quicksand. Yeah, he's an amazing shot. He's shooting scorpions and he runs out of ammo, so he throws the gun at the scorpion on the doctor's neck and it knocks the scorpion off. And then he throws a knife <laughs> and the oh, knife knocks a stone pillar down. So he can save himself. <laughs> Eagle Eye is Indiana Jones. There's nothing he can't do. That's what we're learning here. <laughs> that's hilarious so this is she's the doctor from from the flashback story so she's uh th so there's personal stuff going all abounding in this i really yeah i i i these are fun these are just fun episodes so scott is there any advice you'd give uh listeners today for you know like ways to self-publish because you know i know i know i know usually we hear a lot of the answers are uh you know do it yourself you know do your own thing you know you know make good because it's so easy with the internet and all that stuff but even that there's you know barriers of entry and and stuff like that you seem like you've been doing a lot of your own creator own stuff is there is there any advice you can give listeners um yeah i don't know about barrier of entry it just especially now it's it's really I don't want to say it's a level playing field exactly, but you can you can publish your work anywhere, and um, I mean, there's just so many there's so many outlets to do that now um, between Patreon or just building your own website, mm -hmm. creating web comic, or you know, just publishing it. Um, it's there's print on demand, you know, which makes printing cheaper and more accessible and affordable for. Sure. for or, uh, well, you know, independent creators. Speaking of Patreon, uh, we should mention Hark is on Patreon right now. So, listeners, if you want to help Scott support his Hark book, uh, you guys can go. What's the Patreon uh, address we can give him, Scott? It's uh, patreon.com slash beyondforwardcomics. Awesome. So, listeners, go to Beyond Forward Comics over on Patreon and uh, give Scott's book a look. Um, and while you're on Patreon, feel free to check out the Joe and Joe Patreon. Uh, you know, we're uh, we're actually as we as we record this, 
I think I'll have them in hand by the time this airs. I've made, uh, Scott, I've made uh, uh, Joe on Joe masks for the quarantine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. I'm just, you know, I'm just really shocked at that there's still a fan base for this, for this extreme uh, version of GI Joe. Well, I don't know that there is. I'm forcing this down my listeners' throats, Scott. Oh, okay. You're, oh, you're 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 gonna make it into a. Oh yeah, this is my first yeah. experience with all this stuff. Oh, and real quick, now this this episode has turned into the movie The Predator. So now he's Dutch at the end of The oh. Predator, making traps to catch the silencer, which is amazing. Um. Yeah. No, I don't know that there is a big demand for extreme stuff. Uh, I like to think that I'm leading the charge here, because. I've never seen these before. I think they're a lot of fun. No one else can find them. And every time we have someone on the show, they end up they end up really digging what they're saying. Yeah, and they're probably stuck in, you know, um, trademark hell. They're probably, you know, there's probably a rights issue that's Hasbro can't touch it. Maybe. And nobody else is going to want to, you know, pay to have this thing. Yeah, digitally mastered and redistributed. Probably, else. I probably I wonder what that could be though. I mean, although they did, there was a problem with Roadblock for a long time. So I guess they're not, you know, they're not. Per, and that's Roadblock being one of their most popular Joes of all time. Um, there was like a ten-year span where they they didn't do anything with them. They even Heavy Metal was supposed to be a version of Roadblock, and he became, um, or I'm sorry, Heavy Duty, and he became Heavy Duty because they couldn't, you know, get Roadblock going. Um, so yeah, so I guess I wouldn't be surprised, but it's, it, it's just weird to me. Is there how, how many episodes? Uh, there's 26 of extreme episodes. So there was a full, I guess that would be a full season. Those two is they broke it up and at least they, they call them, they call them two seasons. They were like the first season ended on a really great cliffhanger where the main bad guy, if you remember, uh, iron claw, uh, he, he, disguised himself as the uh, the Joe team's Clancy. And so did it end the second, did the last episode of the second season, did it end with a cliffhanger or did it? I got to tell have- you, I don't know. I have not watched. I am absolutely uh, watching these with my guests as we go. I see. So I'm, I'm, I'm very fresh and I'm very, uh, very excited to see what comes next. We've got well, about- Hopefully there's some sort of, you know, sort of an ending. <laughs> yeah, that it, it, It'll be very disappointing. next season. Yeah, it'll be very disappointing if we don't. That's it's funny. the The last episode of the, of the comic book ended that way. It was set up for this big adventure, and oh, then no. and you read the letters page, and it says, "Sorry, listeners, this is the last issue of GI Joe for a while." Oh. Times and are the, tight. Yeah, that's, that's a testimony to how bad the industry was. Yeah, they they could not even afford to finish that story arc. That's you know that's kind of not typical they usually try to at least wrap things up even if they have to condense a story and yeah you end up having a last page so, with just a lot of that's pretty a, bad yeah that's a lot terrible. of a lot of expository dialogue saying well you know i was going to find out that i was really your secret brother but we're going to be friends in the end okay right you know yeah <laughs> wow that's terrible that's yeah. just what a letdown yeah it really is um well these guys are not letting us down because they're in the middle of a of a, they're in a cave. There's bats flying around. They're in a personal fight, just going hand to hand. This really has turned gone from an Indiana Jones episode to the movie The Predator. This is great. 
This is really great. So, Scott, on my show, I love to ask my guests if you could be a member of the Joe or Cobra team or Extreme team or, or Scar team, which would you be? Like, would you be a good guy or a bad guy? Uh, what would your specialty be? And then we'll come up with a good, fun nickname for you. Oh, man. So I don't know the characters well enough to, to pick which one. Um, I think I would come up with a new character. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, definitely would be a new character. Yeah, that's the oh, thing. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, you're not, you're yeah, not choosing. So, no, you're your own. You're absolutely your okay. own. So if you so, yourself. So, <laughs> yeah. You, so my character is a guy that can, he can foresee the future. So he, he foresees the future and he knows that the series is coming to a premature end. <laughs> So he's so he gathers everybody together and he says, "All right, I know how it's going to end." And, and so he's the guy that will tell the ending of of GI Joe Extreme. He saves the day. He saves the day. Can, can, I have a name for him. Do you want? Do you have an idea for what you want to call? Oh, and, and uh, by the way, are you on the Joe team or the uh, the Extreme team, or are you on the uh, Scar team, the bad guys? Oh, I'm going to be on the good guy. Okay, so you're on. you're and you're on extreme too. It's extreme. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah. Okay. I'm extreme. Of course. Of course. Extreme. Uh, so so do you have? I have a great idea for your name. Do you have an idea for your name? Uh, no, I'll leave that up to you. How about how about uh, spoiler alert? Spoiler alert. That's great. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, spoiler alert. Welcome to the Joe on Joe Extreme team. We appreciate you ha having you on. Oh, it, you know, this was fun. <laughs> so the show wrapped. Uh, Eagle Eye escaped. What I liked about this episode is there was no real good resolution in that, like, like the silencer didn't learn a lesson. You know, like he didn't see the error of his ways. Eagle Eye just rescued the, the scientist and they escaped and uh, Silencer was left shooting into the, you know, as they escaped. I like that a lot. Very nice. So, yeah. So, Scott, uh, thank you so much for being a guest on Joe and Joe. Listeners, remember, get out there. Go to Comixology. Look for Scott's work. Google his name. You're going to find a lot more than just Hark. But look for Hark. Look for Saga of a Doomed Universe. That sounds really fascinating. I really want to read that. I love Love, love, love 80s Marvel, uh, 80s DC stuff. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a big passion of mine, so I'm, I'm definitely going to look for that. And cool. uh, most of all, you know, get out there and find these uh, the Dark Horse G.I. Joe series. I, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. They do a, um, they do a, 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 they introduce some new characters in it. That they also give a lot of backstory on uh, Iron Claw himself, which wasn't in the show, and actually that season two kind of picked up on stuff they introduced in the comic book. I don't know if chicken or the egg there, but uh, it's it's neat. It's a really neat read, a book to read, and we will be doing uh, a Joe and Joe Illustrated about that, listeners. So Scott, thank or should I say, spoiler alert, thank you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest on Joe and Joe today. You're welcome. Well, now you Joe. And Joeing is half the battle. Extreme! Extreme!